before before victories, there's battles. There are struggles before celebrations. Um, there are steps before arrivals. There is practice before perfection. There is preparation before completion. Over and over again in Scripture, there is this pattern that is repeated, this before principle, if you will. Good morning. My pastor asked me this past week if I wouldn't mind uh, bringing a few of our students on the stage and, and be able to share a little bit about uh, just what we've been doing in our student ministry. In our student ministry, the past few weeks, we've been going through a series answering questions. I don't know about you, but uh, many times we show up to church and we have questions. And we don't necessarily always get to ask those questions. So what better thing to do to then just teach on some questions? So we went through uh, answering why do you come to church? How do you come to church? What do you come to church for? And what those actually look like. So you're going to get to hear from our students what those things meant to them. Zachary, he's going to answer how you should come to church, what it looks like when we enter into this place, how we should enter here. Paisley, she's going to answer why do we come to church? What does that look like to her? What does it look like to you? Uh, and Cody, he's going to help us to understand what is it that we actually come here for? What is it that God has us here specifically today to do? So, Zachary, help us to understand how we should come to church. How should we come to church? In Psalms 100, it says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and a sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness is to all generations. We should come rejoicing in him, and we should be excited and faithful and enthusiastic because it is faithful to all generations. We should serve with gladness and be thankful for God is doing in our lives. Awesome. Good job, Zach. Paisley, she's going to help us to understand why do you come to church? Paisley has this uh, nervous smile on her face, so I'm trying to help her to calm down. But Paisley, why do you come to church? Okay, so Sean's always telling us you're not just here to occupy a chair, which he's right. You should be coming to church with the mindset that you're going to leave closer to God. You should be coming to church wanting to learn about God and wanting to be drawn closer to him. You should come to church because you want to learn how to live your life through Christ, not because of the person next to you. Let me be the first to say, if you are here for the person next to you, you're here for the wrong reason. So why do you come to church? Is it because of the person next to you, or is it because you want to grow in Christ and live your life through him? Cody's going to help us to understand the, the what factor. Uh, each and every one of us has a part and Cody's going to help us to understand what those parts are. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It is for, not for this reason any the less a part of the body. So these verses speak to me because... Uh, the whole church is just one body. It doesn't matter what part you are. You can be a, a foot, an ear, a mouth, Casey, a hand, Colton. You can be anything. Uh, without, like, a foot, you can't walk. Without an ears or eyes, you can't see or listen to anybody. And without uh, everybody here, the body isn't connected, so we can't really function properly. Great job, guys. I hope you can see how important it is to enter into God's house, that we should be excited, we should be enthusiastic about what he's going to do with us when we come to church, what he's going to do with us when we serve him, and how we should leave because of what he's doing in our lives, being thankful because of God, period. And, and why we should come to church, not because of you know social reasons or because of the person sitting next to her or to you, but to understand that I'm coming to church to grow closer to God, to build my relationship with more love so that I can express that love, but that, that love can be expressed to me so that I can carry it out to others. And to understand how important each and every week, you may think that, oh, it's just another Sunday, but each and every week that you're here, 
because you're that much more helping us to complete the body of Christ, helping us to be the church, helping us to be an effective student ministry, helping us to be an effective church in Decatur. Thank you. Well, that was wonderful, wasn't it? I like, I like it when our teenagers are involved and you know, they're just not the future of the church. They are the church. Amen? They are the feet and the hands and the eyes, and they are all of those things. And so we appreciate them, and, and we, we love you guys very much. And, J.C., I don't know. Are you the mouth or are you the hand? I didn't quite get that. <laughs> he wasn't even up here, and she got picked on, right? Well, open your Bibles with, with me this morning, please, to Joshua chapter 3. And before we get started, um, we do this once a year, and we just do it in this setting because, well... We got all of you crowd, corralled up in one area. This is, um, um, we need nursery and toddler workers. And if you're already doing that, thank you very much. But again, put your name on here. So um, if you have a child in the nursery or in the toddler department, then, you know, it's your responsibility to make sure your name's on here. But for the rest of us, um, we could certainly use your help because our, our nursery and our toddler ministry is a ministry. We get to love on those kids and minister to them, and uh, at, at those young ages, we can even teach them about the love and about um, um, Jesus Christ, but also it's a ministry to the parents so they can be in here and be fed as well. Amen, everybody? So I'm going to pass this by, and this is good for men and women. We like men in the nursery too, okay? So we're going to pass this by, and the more that signs it, the less you have to do it. That's the way I always thought about it. And um, also... Um, we have one more thing that we're needing, and we're, we're having people come off the highways and, um, and coming to our doors during service times. So starting next week, we want to have a, a, a man that's stationed out in the hallway just, just, just you know, so we can have that in, in place. And so men, every man, uh, if you'll see Michael Esslinger after services, he'll take your name and phone number and email address, and so we'll get that going. So therefore, if, if we all do it, then than um, once a year, but uh, we need to protect those babies and, and the nursery and so forth, so make sure you see Michael Esslinger. Here we go, Joshua chapter 3, and you know, those teenagers did a wonderful job, and we went through our last series on worship, and, and boy, everything they said was just right in line with the Word of God says, and, and that we are the church, and our and our and us being here means something. Listen, there's value to corporate worship. There's value to the church of Jesus Christ. There's value, amen? And we've got to show that value. We've got to remind ourselves that, that we do what we value, and so church should be something that we value, amen? But here's the thing. Um, when we talk about value, when we talk about church, we want to talk this morning about the before principle. There is a before principle. And all that we do, listen, in obedience to Jesus Christ, in obedience to one another, uh, in obedience to, to, to us being Christians, there is always with God, listen close, there is a before principle, a before principle. On Facebook this morning, there was a story, and Lloyd showed it to me this morning, and, and I just kind of give this to you as a, as a, as a platform to, to go forth here, but um, apparently there was a pastor and uh, he got uh, a calling to a church in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma. And uh, when he got there, um, he went around and he visited everybody that was on church roll. And, and after the visitation of that whole week, Sunday rolled around and uh, services started and there was hardly anybody at church that morning. Well, he was pretty disappointed in all of that. And so he, what he decided to do was he took out an ad in the newspaper and he said, um, our, he says the name of the church, and that the church apparently has died, and so we're, and as as anybody, the church deserves a good Christian burial. So everyone is invited to the um, funeral service for the church. And so the day come, and and he had this this service. He had a coffin here in the front with the lid open on it, and the building was quite full. And as he was talking, he gave everybody that was there the opportunity to come down and to look into the casket. Now, they were kind of curious what they would find in the casket, but as they would come to the casket, they would look, 
and turn real quick and go back to the seat. Because in the coffin was a mirror tilted just right so when they looked into the coffin, they would see themselves. How's your spiritual life? Amen? Amen? You know, if a church is not doing well, it's because the people that are there. And, and so this morning, again, we're in Joshua chapter 3, and I want to look at this this morning and talk about this before principle. Now, this before principle, the before principle manifests itself in everyday life of every believer in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Talking about the before principle, there are battles before victories. Everybody say amen. Hey, there are battles before there is victory. Before you're going to have victory, you're going to go to battle. Before husbands and wives can reconcile sometimes, there's sometimes a battle. Now, it never should be a bloody battle, okay? But I'm just saying, there's, you know, before, before victories, there's battles. There are struggles before celebrations. Um, there are steps before arrivals. There is practice before perfection. There is preparation before completion. Over and over again in Scripture, there is this pattern that is repeated, this before principle, if you will. Now, you remember back in the Old Testament, the Israelites had to march to the Red Sea before God parted it, right? Naaman had to wash seven times in the water before God cured him of leprosy. Something had to be done. There was a before principle. Now, we as Christians and we as a church, a lot of times we lack victory in the abundance, in the, and the abundance life in Jesus Christ because we don't practice this before principle, and we'll get to that principle. Gideon had to reduce his army from 32,000 people when he was fighting against the Midianites down to 300 before God would come alongside Gideon and beat the Midianite army. 32,000? I think I'd have a better, better chance at beating this old army, but God reduced it down to 300 before principle. Now, now follow me here. Uh, the loaves and fishes had to be given before Jesus could multiply them. You see the before factor, that principle? Peter had to obey Jesus to row out to deep water before he caught a boatload of fish. There is always a before principle. Now listen, for Cornerstone Baptist Church, listen, there has always been a before principle. You know, before this, this church was started in 1926, you know, something had to happen. People had to be obedient to God. And as we're making our transition um, to our new location, there has to be a before principle that all of us here, as the hands and the eyes and the legs and the arms that we have to be part of, there's a before principle. In our marriages, in our lives, in our daily walk with Jesus Christ, before there's victory, before there's blessings, there's always this before principle. And, and what I find is that, is that we're not willing to do these before principles, and so sometimes we're just kind of starving. And, be, and because of that before principle, we don't see a whole lot of obedience, and therefore we don't see a lot of the blessings that God wants to give us, that abundant life. We, we, don't, we don't have the victories that we want to have or should have or God entitles for us to have because, listen, there's before principles that we all have to practice. Again, go back into the Word of God, and, and you will see the principle time and time again that there's got to be obedience, that there's got to be faith, and that we always sometimes we've got to wait on God. There's always a before principle. I know right now this morning here at Cornerstone that there are some here that, are, that have said, why? Why, Lord? I know that there are people here that are needing some kind of a miracle. I, I, I know that there are probably people here that aren't saved. There are some here that doesn't have a church home. There are some here that your marriages are, 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 are not going well. I know there's needs here, and, and we want those needs to be met. But, but here's the thing this morning is, is that God is a God who, who desires for us to be obedient. And in, within that obedience, there is this before principle that we have Christians, as Christians, have to take part of in our lives. Do we get it? You know, we just don't have, I mean, we've got Christianity, we've got salvation, and we just want, we want osmosis to be our whole life. 
but it doesn't work that way. There's before principles. We think in our mentality, because we, we live in a culture today that, that's, you know, it's, 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 it's we're, we're horn honking, FedExing, microwaving, fast food people. Well, that's not how our relation works and as what the church works with Jesus Christ. There's obedience. There's a before principle. Everybody say amen. So we've got to be willing to do this before principle. Now, I don't believe there's any better example. And we've, I, I look back at my notes and we preached out of this text, I think it was uh, three years ago. But let's look at it again. I think that um, this text really covers the idea of this before principle better than any other place in the Bible does. So go with me, please, to Joshua chapter 3. Now, y'all don't worry about that baby. That baby can cry, do whatever he wants to. I'll come down there and get him if I need to. Y'all just pay attention to me. We like, we like kids here. Amen? And, uh, but don't let them distract you. You pay attention up here. <laughs> okay. All right. There is a before principle. Now, Joshua chapter 3, we're going to look, we're going to read together verses 1 through 17. It's kind of a lot of reading, but I want us to get um, the gist of what's happening here in this context, okay? All right. Joshua chapter 3, remember, um, look at me real quick. Remember, um, Israel was delivered out of Egypt, right? Moses brought them across. He put the staff in the Red Sea. The sea parted. They went through, right? And then if they got on the other side, the waters closed in, killed a bunch of the Egyptians. And then what Moses was supposed to do was lead them down to the Jordan, into Canaan land. But when they got there, what happened? They sent out spies. And they said, these guys are too tall. These guys are too big. You know, I mean, they, 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 they gave a report of all these great things, but they said, we can't beat them. God told them that the Canaan is yours. I'll go before you. But they got to the, they got, they got to, to the Jordan, and, and they were faithless. So God made them turn around and wonder. This is, this is important to understand because the context, this before principle, they were made to wander for how many years in the wilderness? Forty years. And that whole generation died off. Right? And now Joshua is leading the new generation, and they find their place. I just got goosebumps. At the same place for where their forefathers were made to turn around. They're at the same beachhead, the same, the same bank, the same river as as the generation before them. And it says in verse 1, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. In other words, follow it. However, there shall be between you and a, at a distance of about 2,000 cubits by, by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Sanctify, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I love that. I have that underlined in my Bible. And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they might know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, 
Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispose from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, and the Perzite, and the Gikashite, and the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of their feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, that the Lord of the earth rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant before all the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priest carrying the Ark were dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. Verse 16, the waters which were flowing down from above and, and rose up in a heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those which were, follow, were flowing downward, the Sea of the Arba, the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho, and the priest who crossed the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the word of God that we have. And Lord, this morning I pray that, you, that through the Holy Spirit that you'll convict us and convince us and encourage us this morning that there's nothing too big that you can't do in our lives. But Lord, as a church family um, that will value a relationship with you, that will value one another, that, that will value obedience, that Lord, this morning that we'll all understand that there is a before principle that each and every one of us have to follow in our lives to have that that beautiful relationship with you. We love you and we give you praise. Lord, I pray if there's one here that's never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, that there is a before principle. I pray, Lord, if there's some here that's never given to, to water baptism, that there's a before principle. I pray, God, this morning that if there are those here this morning that are at ought with somebody else, that there is a before principle. I pray this morning, Lord, for, for those that are far from you, that there is a before principle. Lord, I pray if, for those that, that have bitterness, that have unforgiveness, that, that they're not experiencing that abundant life. This morning, that Lord, that they'll get and that they'll know that there is a before principle that your word shows us from page one to the end of what we must follow as believers in you. We love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, let's look at just a couple, as three parts of the before principle, okay? The before principle manifests itself, again, as we said, in every day life of all of us as believers. Now, here in this text, and we just read it, um, Nowhere was this principle of before more evident than when Jesus was preparing to lead the Hebrews into this wonderful promised land. And after decades of wandering in the wilderness, the children of Israel were perched on these banks, ready to cross over. Now, did you notice in this narrative, the words crossing over, it's used 21 times. That's pretty important. 21 times that narrative is used in this text. Now, that's a lot. It marked... A transition for their lives. Now, the crossing over required, listen close, it required a new faith experience. The before principle applied in order for them to occupy the new land God had waiting for them, something had to be done. Some things had to be done. But I want you to look at verse 1 before we get into these principles. Notice number 1, that there was an obstacle that stood in their way, and it was the Jordan River. Everybody listen. There was an obstacle in their way, and it was the Jordan River. Now, Tommy and I, and you know that we've been, we've been to Israel several times, and now Tommy and I have been there, and we've seen the Jordan River. And honestly, there's parts of the Jordan River, this is, this is, this is the truth, 
to step over it. That's the Jordan River. No more than a foot wide and three inches, three inches deep. Now, does that blow anybody's mind right now? You know, of course, the, the, the um, Jordan River, it goes from the, from, the, from the Hermon Mountain top where all the snow is all the way down about 60 miles, and it, and it goes into the Dead Sea. Now, t- today, of course, of course, that area is, is 1,300 feet below sea level, the Dead Sea. Did you all know that? 1,300 feet below sea level. And now the Hamar Mountains, they're about um, three to 400 feet above sea level. So you think 60 miles long, dropping, you know, 1,500 feet down, that's, that's, that's quite a rushing water. Now, the Bible says it's during harvest season. That means that this was in the spring. That means that all of the, that all of the snow was melted, and it was coming down fast into the Dead Sea. And so when they come to the banks to cross over Jordan, they wasn't like Ron Fox when I was over there during the summertime six years ago where I could just step. Now, some places the Jordan River is still wide, don't get me wrong, but this place I could just step right over the Jordan River. But at this time, the river was one mile wide, and it was coming down at 100 miles an hour. They got to the bank. They were promised that, hey, we're, we're going to go over into the promised land because God has us a life there. That, that, that meant that their, their life with God, and now they get there, and they can't cross. So you see the obstacle that's in their way? That's the obstacle that they had, and sometimes for us, Life is like that, isn't it? We find obstacles that we can't get across. We find things in our way of getting us where we need to be and need to go. It may be something personal. maybe some someone else in our life. It may be something that we did, but there's obstacles. There's obstacles. Now, here's another truth, and let's get into these three principles here. But here's another truth before we do that as we're breaking down this before principle. Listen to this. Think back. And as we said a while ago, everybody, everybody... Everybody come alongside me. Think about this. Think back. God did the same kind of miracle. Here God is parting and, and making the Jordan River to stop. But remember, as we said a while ago, he did kind of the same thing with the Red Sea. Y'all remember that? Um, God did that, that same thing before the Red Sea. He parted it for the Israelites to escape Egypt. Now follow this. No one at the banks of the Jordan, 40 years later, was even present when they crossed the Red Sea. Because, again, that generation had passed away. Listen, this generation needed to see the power of God firsthand. Can I have an amen? In other words, they heard the stories of the Red Sea as they grew up, and as that, that generation was passed, they heard all the stories. But listen... This generation, they needed to see for themselves the power of God. They needed to see what God would do miraculously in their lives. And and that's the way it works with us. I mean, we hear all the time of people who are having miracles in their lives. We we hear it. But, you know, here's the thing is that we can't live off of someone else's miracle and someone else's testimony and experience that God is this great, powerful God. We need it ourselves. And so that's why we have this before principle because each one of us need to go out and do something so you can experience firsthand the power of God in your lives. They wasn't going to live off of Israel's former, former high days, and, you know, and Cornerstone can't live off of their former days. We've got to experience the power of God now, and that means that we have to do some things so that we can experience it. We just don't let it happen by osmosis. We just can't remember how great God was in the past, whether it was five years ago or 50 years ago or last week. We've got to do things to experience God now. And, you know, as we're making this transition in the next year to this new building, and a building is just a building, but you know what? We need to sit down today and put forth ourselves in a way that we experience the power of God right now for this generation and for those to come in the future. Amen? So we can see that. God knows everything, and he knew that these people needed to experience his power, but they had to do something before they would experience the power of God. And so do you. You know, think about it. Think about it. You know, Danny, think about it. You know, um, 
you're out of church for a while, and then you come back, um, you had to, there was a before principle, right? And then you come to my office and you said, uh, man, pastor, I really want to teach, and but I don't think I really have what it takes to teach. He's a teacher. And his class is so big now, they're going to have to split that thing at some point. I mean, give the Lord a hand, everybody. I mean, there's a before principle. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to lift you up because I know you've got all kinds of problems, you know, but I'm just kidding around. But, but right, Danny, there was a before principle that you had to apply. God just didn't make you a teacher. God just didn't, didn't, didn't do something. You had to do something before that come, right? And, and Tommy, you know, you, you, you've got to apply before principles. And when you search out a relationship with God, right, all of us, there's got, you know, for us to see the power of God, there's a before principle. If you're not searching those things out, if you're not doing the before principles, and we're going to talk about them here, you're not going to see the power of God in your life. Because, ladies and gentlemen, our God is still a miracle-working God. He can still raise the dead. <laughs> he can. He can still move the mountains. He can still raise the sun and put down the moon. He can, everything that he's done before, he's a God can do those today. But we've got to be obedient, and we've got to do some things in our lives first. Let's stop living off the past or what could be, and let's start putting ourselves in a position where we can see the mighty hand of God, just like these Israelites did. Amen? Amen? All right, so let me give you three. Let me give you three. Number one. Number one, often, underline the word often, often we have to wait before moving ahead with God. I think that these people, this was a principle that they had to apply that day before they could see the mighty hand of God work in their lives. Number one, often, not always, everybody look at me, often, not always, we have to wait on God to move. We have to wait. The children of Israel did. They waited. For 40 years, they had to wait. While an entire generation died, the promise had been deferred because of the unbelief of these former elders. Now, let me just break here for a minute. That blows my mind when I really sit here and, and break that down. Listen close and get this. For 40 years, these young people, as they were growing up and being born, they had, to, they had to wait for God's deliverance because of the unbelief of those former elders. Those leaders, the ones who said, we can't go into Canaan land. Those guys are giants. We don't have anything for them. And they come back, and these elders made the decision for those 2.5 million Hebrew people, and this whole generation had to die before this new generation could come and experience God's fresh power for themselves. Think about that as a church family just for a minute. Think about that for your family. Think about what a lack of faith not waiting on God, not trusting God will cause people who is after you and who is with you. And what you think God can't do and what that does to people that come after you. Think about that for a minute, our lack of faith. Man, that really wants me to say, okay, God, I want to be in tune with you. And please show me and lead me because I want to see your power because I want my kids to see your power, and I want the future generation to know that we trusted you and so that they'll come and, and, and experience the same thing as we did. Right, everybody? I mean, so think about that for a minute. The decisions that we make, deacons and trustees and leaders of Cornerstone Baptist Church, if we say we can't, but God wants us to, and we're not doing what we're supposed to, I mean, we are hurting those people that's coming behind us. Amen? But that's not the principle here, the principle of waiting. No one likes to wait. Can I get an amen on that? I hate waiting. I want it as fast as I can get it. Waiting is not a strong suit for most of us. We tend to be, again, horn-honking, microwaving, FedEx-mailing, fast-food eating, and express-lane shopping people. I mean, we love Amazon now, don't we? Yet sometimes God says, wait. 
<laughs> my wife's looking at me smiling because she's not a waiter. W-A-T-E-R, not W-A-I-T-E-R. She's my personal, never mind. <laughs> waiting, <laughs> in, waiting is the hardest part. Listen, <laughs> y'all are taking that a lot further than, than where I was going with it. Listen, waiting is the hardest part. You ready? Waiting is the hardest part of trusting. Waiting is the hardest part of trusting. And sometimes, often, not all the time, God says, wait. For four, hey, for 40 years, they've been waiting to get to the Jordan, and then they get there, and now they have to wait even three more days. I mean, sometimes, sometimes that waiting part is hard, but listen to me. God's worth waiting on because God knows. And, and when we're waiting, God could be doing more in us at that time than he's doing for us when we see the power of the miracle or whatever's taking place later. It's that time of waiting that we're molded. You see, that's what's happening here. So often, not always, we have to wait. That is a before principle. Before, sometimes we can see the great hand of God and we see those things come through, whatever they may be, we have to wait. Think about your marriage. Think about, think about your, your spiritual gifts that you, that you worked in the church. Sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes you have to wait. Husbands sometimes have to wait on their wives and wives on their... Sometimes we have to wait for God to do something with that person that's in our life. Sometimes we just have to wait. You know, you don't have to have it now. I want forgiveness now. I want that person to do this now. You know, sometimes this before principle means that we just have to wait. Listen, we've got to wait on God. You're not God. You know, we kind of live by that adage, uh, don't just stand there, do something. I know my dad brought me up like that. Don't just stand there, do something. Well, that's how we want to treat God. Well, that's not going to work, guys. While God often says to us, don't just do something, <laughs> stand here, you know, and too often we want God's resources, but we do not want his timing. We forget that the work God is doing in us while we wait is as important as whatever we are waiting for. Again, waiting means that we give God, listen to me, I love this. Waiting means that we give God the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he is doing. When we don't wait on God, we're just telling him, you don't know what you're doing. Right? Waiting is God's way of seeing if we will trust him before we move forward. And a lot of you get before in front of God. Listen to this. When we get to the crossing moments of life, we are not just waiting around. We are waiting on God. You get it? You get it? We're, we're just not at some crossing road, ladies and gentlemen. We're waiting for God. The great I am, the author and finisher of, of our lives, the one who created this, this whole world with a single word. We're not just at some cross point. We're just not waiting for nothing. We're waiting on God because he knows best. So that before principle, sometimes before we see the great hand of God move, and that resource, whatever it may be, sometimes you'll just have to wait. For cornerstone in a hole, sometimes we've got to wait. But while we're waiting, we need to allow God to work in us. Because we're not just, we're not just in a lull. We should be in a place of knowing that we're waiting on God. Amen? Number two. Number two. Not only is this principle about waiting, but number two is that always, not often, let's look at this, verse five, always we have to sanctify or consecrate today before blessing will come tomorrow. Not often, not sometimes, but listen, 
always we've got to sanctify ourselves. We've got to consecrate ourselves because God is a holy God and we're to be a holy person. And we've studied in our base classes of what that looks like and, and it's hard for us to get into our minds, but we're never going to be perfect people. But as long as we take our imperfection and our filthiness and our sins and we take them before God and ask God for forgiveness and repent of those things, then, you know, we are imputed with the blood of Jesus Christ and we are made right with God. And, and when God looks at us, he doesn't see the stained blood and red. He sees white. He sees holy because we're in Jesus Christ. And when we're in Jesus Christ and when there's sin that's unrepented, you've got to repent. You've got to cleanse yourself. You've got to sanctify yourself because not often, not sometimes, but always God will not move if you are not sanctified. Look at the text here. I mean, what Joshua told them to do was he said on the, on, the, on the beach there, he says, hey, you guys, you need to sanctify yourself, sanctify yourself, sanctify yourself. They were to flush their minds of what they have accumulated over the years. They were to approach God with pure hearts, clean hands and feet and blameless minds. They were about to enter the Holy Land, God's country. And when God said, consecrate yourself, it was his way of saying, only holy people will occupy, will occupy my holy land. Look at verse 5. And I just want to insert this word and not trying to change God's word, but this is what it's saying. He's saying, look at it in verse 5. Consecrate yourself. And I'm going to put the word in today because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. You, it calls for action. And so that principle of before is that if you're not seeing the mighty powers of God, sometimes you got to wait. Sometimes you got to check in yourself because you need to sanctify yourself because you're not in a place where God is going to move on your behalf because you need to sanctify yourself. Um, if you will, look with me at uh, James real quick. I didn't give them this text. James chapter 4. And the New Testament puts it wonderfully here in James chapter 4. Guys, it's James chapter 4. No, I did give it to you. James chapter 4, verse 6. So this before principle, power of God, sometimes you've got to wait. Always, you've got to sanctify we don't want to do that because we're just happy and content being bitter, being mean, and being ugly, and being selfish because everybody else is that way. Well, let me I got news for you as your pastor. Better get over it because you're not going to experience it unless you sanctify it. Get over yourself. This life isn't about you. It's not about you being catered to. This church isn't here to cater to you. We're the body of Christ set out to be the lighthouse of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Look what it says. But he gives a greater grace. Aren't you glad that our God gives a greater grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. I mean, you... That beautiful song that we sang, John, thank you very much for, for giving us the background of that. You know, I mean, if you took all the, the, the water and the sea and it was ink and if the whole sky was, was the paper, you can't even write down the grace and marvelousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God. <laughs> wow. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God resists the proud, or God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That word resists in the Greek, again, is a military term. It means to, again, oppose. It means that he takes, he puts a line of defense up. Listen to me, guys. Um, um, God resists the proud. If we're proud, if we're sinful, God in this military term, resists you. It's, nothing's going to penetrate God's defensive line. Do you get it? I mean, he resists. He opposes. This is a military term, and he says, in no way are you coming to me. I resist you. I oppose you. Not going to happen. 
but he gives grace to the humble. Then look at verse 7. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So that same military term, we're to resist, we're to put up a line of defense up against the devil. And how do we do that? Like what we're doing here right, right here today. We're having corporate worship. You're making friends and you have a relationship with other believers. You're in the word of God. You're praying. You're always going to be tempted, but you've got to resist. Military term, you, you make a line of defense. Are you doing that? And then look at what it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Looks, looks just like what, he, what Joshua told him in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy in. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? The before principle, and I'm sorry, we, we're going to move on. The before principle is, is often you have to wait, but you always got to sanctify yourself. If you don't, you're not going to experience it. Number three, and this is it. Number three, um, inevitably, and there's that word that we want to start off with, we have to step first in faith before we see God act. Do you see it? That the, the, the little boy had to give us fish before God would multiply him. Um, Moses had to stick his staff into the Red Sea before it spread. Um, you know, before he got cleansed of leprosy, he had to go wash not three times, but seven times. There was faith. You know, they had to do something first. And, and before God would part the waters of the Jordan, a condition had to be met. It was a step of faith, and it says in Joshua chapter 3, verses 15 to 16, that as soon as their feet touched the edge of the water, the flowing, this 100-mile-an-hour flowing of water down into the Dead Sea, it stopped, and it, and it was dammed up, and they could walk through, not on muddy ground, but on dry ground. Do you see that before principle? God promised that the current of Jordan would be dammed up but first, the people had to step in the water. God was ready, willing, and able to perform, to perform an amazing miracle, a feat that would prove that he was the living God. But the condition hinged on the people's, listen, faithfulness. God, your, your word says you're going to do this. The, the prophets tell me you're going to do this, but, but you're going to have to do it, and then I'll believe it. That's not how it works. And the and, and way it works is that God says this, and then we step out and take that first step of faith, and then God delivers every time. But, but again, we're people who just says, well, God, it says here that you'll give me this and you'll give me that, so in Jesus' name, I want this. No, we've got to step out in faith. Danny had to step out in faith and teach a Sunday school class. You know, I, when I was in business I, and God was working on my heart, I had to step out and sell everything that I owned and I, and I stepped out in faith, and I went to Bible college and seminary, and, and by the grace of God here, I had, there, has to be, there has to be some faith stepping. You know, the first time I tithed, I didn't have enough money to pay all my bills. But I stepped out in faith, and, and, and you know, we don't give 10% anymore. We give 20 to over 20%. I mean, because it, it's, just, it's just easy because, because of who God is. You know, I mean, you think to your life, before you ever see God do great things, sometimes you will see, but look, for yourself and for, your, and for what God's doing in your life, you've got to step out in faith. You know, JC, isn't she a great singer, everybody? The mouth of Cornerstone, you know, um, um, you know, she had to step out in faith. And, and Paisley, I mean, you know, boy, you're a good speaker. I think you ought to be a television uh, news anchor. Did a good job up there, and but it, it took a step for her to do that, guys. And 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 were arms and were and were and were eyes and were feet and were all of these things. But we've got to take those gifts that God gives us, and we got to step a little bit, you know, going and moving and making some changes to reach lost people for Jesus Christ. It takes takes a step for us. Listen, 
takes a step. Um, that's the before principle. I want to encourage all of you that we need to take those steps. You know, Matthew's looking for a ministry job, and he's going to have to do some stepping. It's just not going to come to him. We all got to take those before steps, those faith steps, because because um, without faith, God is not pleased. They had to get their feet wet before God would act. You know, isn't that just like God? He wants to do some amazing things tomorrow, but before he does, we have to trust him today. Why are we, dem- why are we required to demonstrate our faith? You know, it's kind of like a... Kind of, it's kind of like an electric eye-opening door will only open as we move toward it. I was reading, and in, in while I was studying, and there was a author, um, Kierkegaard, I think is how you say his name. He wrote this. He said, "Faith is risky business." He wrote, "Without risk, there is no faith. There's always going to be some risk. It's not with God. It's how we perceive it." For faith to be faith, listen, we venture out beyond our own abilities and our own resources. That's faith. When we venture out beyond our own understanding and resources, that's what faith is. Anything less than that is not true faith. You get it? I mean, here's these Israelites, and they were going to step in this 100-mile-an-hour-mile-wide current, and we're going to step out there, I'm going to be washed away. No, I'm going to trust God and God alone. And when they stepped out, the water stopped. You see, God's going to do miracles, but it takes faith from us before we do those, for, for when God's going to usually act on those miracles on our behalf. Now, he wants to supernaturally intervene every day in our lives, but we've got to demonstrate faith, walking by faith. Well, here's the question, and this is it. Is it worth the risk? Look at verse 16 and 17. They got on dry land. Hey, they crossed on dry ground. They got to the other side. They got to Canaan land, God's land, and they conquered that place just like God said they would. Amen? Is the risk worth it? Absolutely. What are you needing from God this morning? What do you want from God this morning? What is God telling you this morning? Well, I want you to know that sometimes you got to wait. You always got to sanctify yourself. And inevitably, it's going to require faith in who you say God is by your action in life. It's not going to happen because you want it to. It's going to happen when we show our faith in that our God is the God who says it is. It requires faith. Amen. Let's stand and bow our heads this morning.